Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the Well-Rounded Wealth Podcast. We are on episode 19, and today we are going to be talking about hobbies. A little more lighthearted one that's interesting. You guys can hear more about us and our perspective on people with interesting hobbies and interesting hobbies that we have. Jack, how we doing? We're good. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. We've been looking forward to this episode for a while because we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now that we're just going to kind of chill out a little bit and just talk about things we like, which I think is really cool. Uh, just kind of He's really excited, not just kind of excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm insanely jazzed about this episode. <laughs> I, I logged on to the, the recording and Jack's jumping up and down on his bed. <laughs> like a just kid. over the moon that we get to talk about our hobbies this episode. We get to switch it up a little bit. Just on the edge, yeah, edge of my seat. Um, <laughs> on a different note, you're sick. <laughs> How's that feel? Yeah. I'm currently sick, but love recording. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So it doesn't feel great, but, you know, I, I'd say it's a hobby of mine. <laughs> Being sick is a hobby of yours. Yeah. <laughs> How? No, so around. you had a fever this morning, right? Do you think you still have one? Did you feel it break? Did you get, like, the sweats when the fever breaks? Oh, yeah. I was, I woke up. I was like, huh, something doesn't feel right. Walk over to the bathroom, like, something definitely is not right. <laughs> so, uh did not work much today, but that's all good. Sometimes you need to rest. So Yeah. Yeah. I never thought I'd hear it from it. you, but you're right. <laughs> I know. Let's get into it. What are some hobbies of yours? Some hobbies of mine. You know, I mean a lot of people that know me really well know that I love the entertainment world. I love movies. If I didn't do a podcast about this, it would probably be a podcast about movies and pop culture stuff that's where that's really the realm that i am most familiar with of all kind of popular things people talk about i feel like especially among guys it's sports and then behind it i'd say behind it at least in my circles are like movies and tv shows and stuff and that's mine mine is movies sports not so much i try on sports because and I know we're going to get into this. I like having that to relate to some people with and at least be able to have a conversation. It kind of opens that door to other people, especially guys my age. So many people are into sports. So I try to keep a base knowledge going. That's why I participate in a fantasy football league. Even though I don't keep up with it well, at least I'm kind of in the world. And if I, if there's some dudes at a bar that I meet or just in any circumstance, I can at least jump in the conversation and then go from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, guys with sports are, like, giving makeup to a girl. It's all they talk about. <laughs> it's, I wish I had that same, I mean, kudos to you for this, for sure, is being able to keep up with it, because it's and only, such a only kinda. Piece. Like, for example, NFL, I was watching the games for the first probably four weeks, and I've fallen off, mainly because I've just been busy on the weekends. I was working on the weekends, and I've been traveling on the weekends. So it's just I lost track pretty easily. And then when I am that behind and traveling and not around to sit and watch stuff, I'd much rather catch up on popular TV shows or a movie that came out. I still like going to the theater. A hobby of mine, a big one that's more niche than just liking movies, is actually I like going to the theater. I got the the Regal um, Unlimited app. So this is a subscription. 
that you can pay like 20 bucks a month and then you just get unlimited movies to go to the theater, free movies. Well, if you want to do the IMAX and the bigger theaters, there's a little subcharge, but it's free standard movie tickets, unlimited. And if you go twice, just twice a month, you get your money's worth because it'd be more than $20 to go to two movies. Yeah, I know you you love doing that stuff, and which I think is so cool. But why don't you walk us through and walk me through, honestly, how you got into movies and what was that moment where you're like, this is, this is what I love. This is a hobby of mine. Yeah, you know, looking back, I just watched a ton of TV as a kid. Like a ton of TV as a kid. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was also just that cool. It was that cool thing because I was never huge into sports. I like playing football at recess and stuff like that. It took me some time to get into that a little bit. But my leisure after I, in elementary school, after you finish your, you know, write one complete sentence and study for your spelling test, I'd watch TV and I'd be so excited. And then eventually we started being exposed to Star Wars and Indiana Jones and the old stuff that our parents watched when they were kids. And I fell in love with Star Wars immediately and we record them on DVR and I would just go back and rewind them and just watch parts over and over again. Like I was obsessed. Would you say that was the series or the, or the I guess, genre that got you hooked? I'd say yes. I mean, I was so young that I didn't realize, oh my God, movies, <laughs> you know, like this is so cool. But that was probably the first piece of media, the first IP that really hooked me. It hooked me at a young age, like six, seven years old was when I was into Star Wars. And then quickly after, it was Harry Potter. And that the Harry Potters were what got me into the behind the scenes of, wait, how did they actually make these movies? Like I started getting into the celebrity interviews or the actor interviews and watching the documentaries behind the scenes because then we'd buy the DVDs and they have those special features. And that was kind of the turn of, okay, this actually, there's a lot that goes into this. This stuff is really cool. And I just became a nerd about it. Like I became obsessed with the little facts and the little details and all that stuff. So that became my nerdy realm. And that I know I my definitely... biggest, <laughs> my biggest niche that I guess is a party trick of mine of just far as like being a nerd about it and just micro analyzing things is knowing years when movies came out. That's my biggest, yeah. that's my biggest <laughs> little niche that I can always whip out. And then some asshole just whips out a movie I've never heard of. And I'm like, I don't know. They're like, you suck. <laughs> like, Got him. <laughs> I will definitely say, and I can attest to that, that you have a knack for being able to tell you us anything about a movie. I've, I could have watched a movie 10 times and you still more, know more about it just because you've done the research behind it, which is super cool. Yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends on the movie. Some movies I don't know anything about at yeah, all. I mean, there's a lot of movies out there. Yeah. Well, I would say the popular ones, though. I'll also sure. say this. It's really fun because I majored in film in college, too. So I pursued this nerdy niche of mine and got a degree out of it too but once you're in that world it becomes there's this really weird and other film majors will probably relate to this this undertone judgmental having taste and prestigious taste becomes a thing it's cool to like things and it's not cool to like other things you know are these are these the people who you see a great movie and then it's 
10% Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> because it's not the the to the niche standard or whatever. Right. It is. To to the prestigious degree that people tell us that it's supposed to be held up to. Because yeah, yeah, that it becomes it does become popular and unpopular. But then there's the bad movies that in like film people circles it's cool to like. And there's the good movies that are cool not to like. I'll give you certain examples. It's yeah, cool not to examples. like movies like Forrest Gump. That's a cool movie not to like that's known as really good. What? Yeah, it's well, one of those okay. kind of known as overrated that it's really not that intricate cinematography. Um, it's pretty um, pretty easy to digest as, an, as a basic audience member. I don't disagree with this. I love Forrest Gump. I actually think it's really, really good. And no, no one would argue that it sucks. People are just kind of like, yeah, because pe- some people put it in with like the greatest of the greats. And I, a lot of people I know, they wouldn't say you're crazy for thinking it's really good, but they would kind of like be like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not one of the greats though. So, so I'm curious. So it seems like from the film Major's background, they are compiling everything from the cinematography, the message of the story, the the actors, the acting, whereas compared to the viewer, the viewer is rating it more on how engaging it is and how how well is the story told. Yeah, I would say so. That's how it's supposed to be, I would argue. But it's interesting because it's so, it is so subjective, in my opinion, on what makes a good movie, what makes a bad movie. You could be really analytical about it to really say like, yes, that is a well-made film that's sequenced really well. For example, we studied Citizen Kane, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of but probably not seen, but it's known amongst like film theorists as one of, if not the greatest movie ever made. It came out in 41, so it came out forever ago. And I watched it because I felt like I had to because... I was told this in my film theory class that you should really watch it. And I was worried I was going to hate it because it's, you know, it came out in the forties, black and white. I was like, I might be bored. I did love it. And because we learned about the sequences that were in the film and we studied that film specifically in the way it was shot, I was like, oh my God, yeah, this is awesome. And it's really engaging just by the techniques used to shoot it and the way that uh, let me give you an example of... Yeah, what's an example of, and maybe for the listeners, if you can describe what sequencing is. Okay, so I used to know all of them back when I took film theory and the exact names. I don't right now. And no one <laughs> that knows went to my college, judge me, because I bet you don't either. <laughs> <laughs> but you might, and you might just be better than me, which is fine. But here's an example. Have you seen The Godfather? Yeah. So there is the scene where Michael Corleone is at the baptism and he is the godfather at the baptism. And it's going, cutting back and forth between the murders of the everyone getting whacked. Yep. Now that he is the new godfather. And it's this really cool contrast between he is calm at a baptism in a holy place 
taking these vows that I know I reject Satan and all of his evils. And then it's cutting back to his new Evil. henchmen murdering people for him. And that he and he's making power moves too. It's near the end of the movie. Spoilers, I guess, but there's not enough context <laughs> if you don't know this stuff. And it's it's makes that gripping by the way that it, it's cutting back and forth in tonality and the themes. That's what makes it a well done sequence. Does that uh, make sense? So it's it's engaging, it's hooking someone because of the the whether it's staccato or or because of the way the the film and the images are shown. Yeah, totally. That that's exactly what it is. And you can take that in other ways too, because sometimes it can go back and forth between time of past and present. That kind of happens. I remember at the end of Us. Jordan Peele's Us is coming to me when there's a sequence interwoven when they're the two twins are fighting each other. But then it's also her dancing as a child in the past. And the fight is presented to you as a dance. It was really well done and really cool. That's a sequence. That's a, in a really interesting sequence because it engages you even more. Because that's visual storytelling, right? It's when the film is showing you something and it's telling a story just with its visuals. And the sequencing is when you're able to play with time a little bit. Play with the timeline. So it's not just... This person walks into room, talks to someone, leaves room, and then it just goes linear. And then he and then he goes to the street and then he goes to work and then he comes home from work and then the movie or the show ends. You know, there's there can be a little bit of back and forth through the way that you present the story and not just tell the story. Okay. But that's only one way. That's that's why film criticism, I think in my opinion, is actually really hard. Because you could also just you know, you could be a lighting nerd and you could notice how well something was lit i'm a bit of a sound nerd hence doing a podcast so i loved watching top gun maverick and like listening to the sounds that blew me away alone that i'm not even entirely paying attention to the story beats and everything i I thought top gun maverick was awesome but i've also talked to people that you know think the story is pretty basic the first movie again i agree with that but it was fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. like, it, it doesn't need to be this incredible it was, story. It was so engaging. And for a viewership, I feel like the discrepancy there is, or at least I'm coming at this from the business side, if it produces good results, then how are you going to tell someone that it's not a good movie? Like if... If you get reviews at, say, a million people watched it and 900,000 loved it, 10% hated it, and that 10% could be the snobs or whatever, how are you going to say that's not a good movie? Yeah, I mean, you, one, whatever your status is. So if you went to a film school or got your, got like a master's in cinema, cinema studies or something like that and you become a, you build a name for yourself as a film critic, then you can act like you have those credentials to say, I know what I'm talking about. And this is, these are my gripes with this film. But yeah, there's really a million things, you know, a movie can be shot beautifully, but there could be terrible acting in it, right? There could be incredible acting in it, but it could have been shot on an iPhone and like with no lighting or our cameras are actually badass on our iPhones now, but like, you know, it's like vertical iPhone, you know, just like record, no tripod, 
like the acting can be phenomenal, right? So there's so many different layers that actually go into it that I think at the end of the day, most people, unless they're really studying every single aspect, after they see a movie, like you have to rewatch it to fully judge the movie, in my opinion. I think you have to watch it multiple times to really study everything that went into it and come to a conclusion on how good or bad it was. At the end of the day, it's just a feeling. It's just what it's breaking down. Like you said, lighting versus sound versus acting versus the storytelling. I know there's more than that, but that's a lot of, that's a lot that comes together. Yeah, it's a ton. And at the end of the day, you really just know whether or not you liked it. And when you don't really know anything about filmmaking, like think about if you're listening and you don't you don't know much about the filmmaking process or the movie making process. It, you just you just watch some stuff and you've liked some movies in your life and some you don't. Like Barbie, I bet pretty much everyone listening has seen that movie. You probably I liked Barbie a lot and the person if you liked it, you may not even know why. To learn why you liked or didn't Margo like something. Robbie. Well, <laughs> no, part Robbie of it. I don't know. And, uh, what, Ryan Gosling? It's like, yeah. You yeah, put two attractive actors in there. It's like, all right, 50% of the people watching this are going to like it. Well, at the same time, I, I disagree with that. It, you could maybe still say, like, they, I enjoyed them. But if the story was really bad, it wouldn't have clicked. But it actually was a pretty good story. Not all of that story clicked for me, especially the Will Ferrell, Mattel stuff. I thought, if anyone's listening has seen it, I thought that whole storyline was kind of out of place and really didn't fit with the flow and the rhythm and the pacing. I thought it kind of took me out of it a little bit. So that And that's me. I've watched so many movies and focus on that stuff so much. I really catch that stuff. But I thought it was really good. There's a, there's actually themes behind the story. It wasn't just um, it wasn't just like oh Barbie has to do something. It was also about the character, and there was a start and a finish with the character. I like judging stuff on the writing a lot, and what I've identified the most is whether or not I like a movie. Is not if let's take a basic movie, Star Wars. The goal, the plot of Star Wars is a guy has to save a princess and stop the bad guys and blow up their base and stop them from killing them. It's super basic plot, right? And what, what actually makes Star Wars interesting, though, is you have the protagonist, which is Luke Skywalker, and he's, he has the hero's journey. He's, it's literally the basic hero's journey. He's, he feels like he wants to do more than just be a farmer. And then he gets that call to action, to actually do more than just be a farmer. And he gets to go on an adventure. But then he's also learning more about himself. And throughout the rest of the trilogy, he really has a lot of self-discovery. He decides to choose his own path and not listen to um, his masters, Obi-Wan and Yoda. And he decides to try to save his father because they said there's no hope. Hope is lost for your father. He's evil forever. And he says, you know what? No, I'm making this decision by myself. There's his character arc. He has character and growth. Han Solo is like the skeptic, right? And the realist. He's the mumbo jumbo force stuff. And he's in it for him because you can't trust people or they screw you over. And a new hope, he has a change of heart and decides to help Luke. And it's because of that journey he had with him and the bond you see them grow. That's actually what it's really about, right? 
if it was just like a dude shows up and is like, gotta save the princess or like, gotta blow up the bad guy, stop Darth Vader, it would Shrek be, it would space. be just another lame space movie that people who haven't seen Star Wars probably perceive it as. It's like a bunch of nerdy spaceships and blasters and sci-fi stuff. But that's why when you act, that's one where you, when you actually watch it, you do engage with it and you do connect with it because it's a, it's not about the nerdy space stuff. That's, that stuff is really cool, but that's in service of the story and the journey that the characters are on and characters that you care about. That's what makes a good movie, in my opinion, or at least a good story. You know, all those story elements could have been there, but the special effects could have been laughably bad or it could have been cut weird or lit poorly or it could have sounded really bad like clunk like dialogue is like all razzly like our our episodes 10 through like 12 (laughs) you know that that could also play into it and then it's like okay yeah it was a cool story but if something looks weird or unnatural or if it sounds doesn't sound clear you're gonna, it's going to take you out of it. So all those elements are important for a good movie. And that's why when people ask, what's your favorite movie? It's, I think it's such a subjective question. Because honestly, there are so many movies that have really strong stories and good characters and are shot and executed by the best of the best, people who have been in the game for years, the top of their fields, and they're super clean and crisp and phenomenal. There's so many that, I mean, I would argue are almost flawless. Yeah. But you could have your own personal gripes with the story or, you know, personal taste. And that's so, when it, I just, I don't like the whole, like, there's definitive great movies, definitive bad movies. There are in ways, but it's honestly really subjective in my opinion. I think it's a great It's more on a scale. Like how how good not it is this good? Yeah, I would say so. I would definitely say so. I don't know. What are some movies you like that and may not even be popular or are popular? I would say some of the movies I like that are less commonly known are movies Warrior. That's a great one. That's an awesome Pele. movie. It's another really good one. Uh, What'd you say after Warrior? Pele. I haven't seen seen it. So Pele was the best soccer player in the world for years. And he basically, his style of play carried on to today. So he's, he was a massive influence over how soccer transformed. And it was really cool because it tells his entire growing up to playing in the World Cup. So that was really cool. I, I like inspirational type movies. I was, that was just thinking action, that in my action head. Or, yeah, action or comedy. I love those. Wedding Crashers. Probably my favorite comedy movie. Yeah, you love <laughs> Wedding Crashers. I, mean, I really like love Wedding Crashers, Wedding too. Crashers. Yeah. I think Dodgeball is so mine for my, of that Dodgeball. genre. I love Dodgeball. Cole and I watched it like movie. a month ago. We were just chilling <laughs> one night and I threw it on. Yeah, that's a great movie. So I kind of want to transition to a little bit in just overarching theme because you, seeing someone who's super passionate about a hobby, 
that doesn't necessarily have to be commonplace, like you with movies, I think is so engaging because you can see that other person's excitement about it. So what is your experience dealing with other people who have interesting hobbies and how hearing about those hobbies makes you relate more to them? I'm trying to think. I think passion goes through more than anything. For example, when I talked about movies and what I actually think makes them good, my passion came out and maybe someone connected a little bit and was like, I don't watch movies very much, but I just now understood why this guy on this podcast likes Star Wars. Like just kind of going back. I think it's the passion for something that goes through and the why you like it. Because I think we can judge really quickly on hobbies or things we don't understand. But usually if someone ever explains to you why they like that hobby, it will always make sense. Uh, I'm trying because to think. I, I love it because those the people who have those hobbies and are super passionate about it know all these super tiny nuances that you would never know unless you're doing it every day. So a, a great one I love is, I love cooking, and I see these chefs, and they have all these little tiny tricks. Like Just cut, oh, turn your knife this way, hold it this way. Instead of cooking it on a pan, cook it on a plate or a tray, or it makes it easier. Or if you yeah. shake garlic in a can, the, the, the shavings fall off. It's like, you, you would never know that unless you were doing it over and over and over again. I've actually, I've kind of taken note of that too. Because I, cooking was something I was so not connected with as a hobby and never really understood it. In college, I walked into a buddy's apartment and they were all just watching like Gordon Ramsay make food. (laughs) I was like, why the hell are we doing this? You know, (laughs) I didn't, (laughs) I was like, they're like, no, dude, you just got to watch. Like he's immaculate. And it's because he's doing those nuances and those tricks and it just kind of cracks me up, but it's true. And I bet if, you know, he probably explains cooking. I've heard him explain cooking. And you're like, oh my God, like there's so much passion behind this. There's so it, it much turns, passion behind this. Those hobbies turn into an art is how I like to look at it. Because you, you take someone like you and, and you see movie, which is a product, or you see cooking, which is a product. And then when you take someone who's super passionate about it and they describe it in a way using certain vernacular that is just super engaging. They take you into their world and you can almost see yourself standing in their shoes being and saying to yourself, wow, I could see myself doing this and I can see why this would be so cool. And that's where I think really engaging people that have interesting hobbies are so cool to connect with. What if you don't have any hobbies? <laughs> I don't. Uh, is yeah. that even possible? Like, is that even possible to not have any hobbies? So I think it is, but it's because someone has turned a hobby into a career more of. So that is all they do. Mm-hmm. Because like you... I know at some point you enjoy playing the guitar and doing other 
things of that nature that you would kind of classify as, as hobbies. Mm -hmm. But you've gone so far in on this film industry that you now, I mean, you do it a lot. Everything with podcasting, I would still consider part of film industry and, and some sort of content creation where you're focused, you know the audio nuance, you know the film nuance, you know the lighting nuance, you know the storytelling. I don't know the lighting nuance. And, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Or, yeah, well, <laughs> but you, you take those things and they become hobbies within themselves under the category of film. Right. So I think it is possible, but for someone looking on it from the outside, we don't see that because we just see the one category. So I see you liking movies, and I, I automatically associate movie with stuff playing on a screen. But you see the lighting, the storytelling, the characters, the acting, the audio. So I think it is possible. It's just it depends on what perspective you have and what knowledge you're equipped with to understand that. Well, it's also almost hobby. becoming less of a hobby and slowly just more yeah that's what he does yeah because you Which... know because for example if you're for an example if you're a i'm trying to think of if you're a professional dancer you wouldn't say like oh yeah that person's hobbies are dancing you would say no they are a dancer you know what i mean that wouldn't be a hobby if they're a professional dancer that would just be what they do so, and I do think it can be detrimental because it's harder for you to relate with people. When because you're like when you, when, when you, you yeah, that. when you're just, when you're just doing one thing. Now you can take it and you can show people how passionate you are about that thing. But if, if you don't have anything else you do in your life, if you eat, wake, sleep, read, whatever, dancing, that's not a bad thing, to so to speak. You found what you love, but it just does make it harder to relate with someone like you. You're not going to be... If someone came up to you and said, I'm a dancer, I know all these things about dancing, this is just a guess, but you're probably not going to be completely engaged with that person unless they hit a chord within you that you're like, oh yeah, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, it would definitely be a challenge for me to really connect with a professional dancer and that's all they talk about have you heard people complain about that or have you ever thought about that with other people like all they talk about is this or that have you ever had that complaint and you're especially younger yeah. growing up yeah i think a great example is fitness because you get people who are gym fanatics and that's all they talk about something fitness and I used to be that way it's it was you have to eat this way in order to get this result and you have to lift this way to get this result I knew a kid in college he that he spent probably four or five hours in the gym every day <laughs> it, was, it was actually a great story he, he was a power lifter so he was one of those guys who would do one set take two or three minutes off and then do another one and I was finishing up a workout. He had been there already for two hours before me. Mm -hmm. And he ordered Chipotle in the middle of his workout. And he is to the gym. He goes, he goes, yeah, I just need to refuel before I keep going. 
And this man, <laughs> I, I'm on the Stairmaster, and this man is walking next to me on the treadmill talking to me, eating a freaking burrito. Oh, he didn't even <laughs> just, like, sit in a chair for a second. No. I was, I, I did was he, like, dude, what are did you he, doing? Like, door, so he, like, door dashed it or something? Yeah, yeah. He did he have the person the give it to him while he was on the treadmill? Oh, no, no. He went down a couch. Okay, and okay. He was, I think he was in the middle of actually lifting. And then he said, ah, oh, I should... I should walk while I eat this because it helps digestion. So for wow. for that reason, yeah, there are people out there that it's like, okay, dude, I know you love this stuff, but chill, <laughs> or at least around. And that that's hard because I've definitely been in that space where you love a certain thing, and if you're not in a group or capacity where you can talk about it with someone who's embarking on that same journey as you, it feels a little lonely. So yeah, totally. I would I lost my train of thought but I had something I wanted to comment on really bad it was such a good comment I'm so mad (laughs) (laughs) I'm very angry I really wanted I had such a good thing to bring up on this point too Um, talking about people who get over like they over ask Oh, sorry. No, it, had, it was just a logistical question. I was, t- oh. <laughs> I was. This, this was not a good point at all. This was. This beats nothing. I was told it was better to eat when you're sitting down, and that that helps for digestion. Is it actually better to eat while you're mobile? No, you should eat while you sit down, but then immediately after, it's walk good it to walk because it it spurns digestion. That's why dinners and walks after are helpful. Yeah, I, I don't think it really matters if you well. If you eat, depending on the size of what you're eating, if you're walking and eating, it's not going to make that big a difference. I think it just, the the nutritionist would be like, no, sit down, enjoy your food, take more time, because you're more likely to rush through eating if you're walking than, you know, but. Yeah, makes sense. Like, I, I, could, I could nerd out about that stuff for sure. Yeah, like, there's an example for something that you're really into and extremely knowledgeable about. I remember when I went and like during COVID times, when you were thinking about um, nutrition plans. And I remember one day you took my like body weight and body fat percentage, which we just had to estimate because I didn't have the actual way to calculate that. And then you made a meal plan and you just, because you just know these things that you know what to eat and what not to eat, the nutritional science that goes behind actually getting results that you want to get in your fitness journey, which is a really yeah. good skill to have because that is something people really want. Yeah. And what I find is when you, when you find someone who is a, a complete genius in their field, they can tell you something that might be super complex in very simple terms. Mm-hmm. So now with with everything I know about fitness, if you if you told me, hey, I want to lose weight, I'd be like, all right, super simple, eat less, <laughs> then you burn, and right. we'll base it all around that. It doesn't really, yes, there are micronutrients that might fuel you a little better, make you less groggy, X Y Z, but if your pure goal is to lose weight, however you want to do it, you just have to eat less, then you burn. Yeah. So. I think that that is when it's really interesting and because those people who are 
are professionals, you don't know how much they know and how much work went into it, but they make it seem like, oh, yeah, like, that makes sense. Duh. Right. Because it's that, their world. That is pretty cool. Because mm-hmm. that's And they just they have know. to convey it. Yeah, they have to convey it to you in a simple, in a simple medium where you can relate to what they're saying and understand it. Because if I went to you and said, yeah, you're... Your diet consists of macro and micronutrients that have all these enzymes in it, and we want to cut out all these enzymes. You're gonna be like, dude, I just, I only want to eat a certain thing. Like, I like what I eat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, all right, let's just simplify <laughs> this, to make it easy for you. Yeah. Right. I would say, interestingly, because you and I talk about this all the time, you even mentioned the other day to me that it'd be cool to go to like a public speaking course or something and that nature because we would like to get better at it. Even though I think we're both pretty good at it, we can always get better. But what I think is really cool, what I think is really cool about it is the idea that we could communicate our thoughts better and in a more relatable fashion. More than, because the the confidence to public speak, I've been doing it for a while. I get the nerves beforehand, but it's more just trying to feel out the vibe of how to, deliver something that's something i could use some more assistance on how do i how do i really relate what i'm thinking in a in a simple to understand way there's a great book on this i haven't read it yet but it is on my book list of books to read um let me pull it up real quick for anyone who likes this kind of stuff um one second. It's called the Thing Explainer, and it's where someone takes super complex topics, physics, for example, and breaks it down into a page or two, where you have this realization: Oh, yeah, duh. We all know we took physics in high school. Physics ain't easy, <laughs> right? It ain't especially, easy at all. Especially different types of physics, because you have. You have quantum physics, you have electromagnetics, you have mechanical physics. There's a ton of components to it. But if you can take that and explain it in third grade language, your ability to reach more people becomes vastly expanded. It's honestly, I just had this thought right now, with really intricate things like that, explaining physics to somebody who hasn't studied it. Uh, it's It's a different language. It's basically, how do I commute communicate Spanish into someone who speaks English in a very simple manner that they can kind of understand what that Spanish means. Does that mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's more of a, it's more of a metaphor that I just came up with than the actual, what it is. Yeah. It's, it's equipping people with the language they need to understand what you're conveying to them. Mm -hmm. And that is a skill in itself for sure. If, if you start talking to me about movies and sequencing, okay, but I don't really know what sequencing necessarily means exactly. I can get a picture of it, but if you're, if you're saying sequencing is the way cuts are tied together to make a scene more engaging. I don't know. I don't know if that's right, but... That's, yeah, that's, essentially. <laughs> that's essentially yeah. correct. And... 
I would also say that it probably helped that I used an example, like The Godfather, something that you've seen. Remember this part of the movie where this happened? And I used probably one of the most famous sequences in all of film. But that made you go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't just he, the baptism scene happened, then afterwards we saw all the murders. They combined them together to add a bigger dramatic effect and to add, you know, just more tense, like more tense, like tension. To, yeah, tension. Oh my God. I, I, yeah, I, like, more, oh. See, there it goes right there with me wishing I sometimes words don't do well <laughs> for me. Vain information is actually way tougher than people think because it is, you have to take the thoughts within your head, which could be, say it's a thousand lines long spit it out in 10 lines long and then jack has to process those 10 lines and interpret them in the same fashion that i was meaning to convey them through the thousand lines in my head yeah there's a skill for sure especially but, we'll get i want to get almost meta but on our end i feel like i'm not just trying to make sure you're following me and understanding i'm also acknowledging that there's going to be an audience listening to this conversation. So there's also that entire element when we're having this, you know, cause I could have done my examples a lot faster for the movie stuff. I was like, Oh, well I, in my head, I was like, Oh, maybe some people that might listen to this haven't seen star Wars or they haven't seen Barbie or they haven't seen Godfather. So I was trying to kind of go through all of that of slowing things down and okay, well, cause you, I, I know immediately what you've seen and not seen, I'm like, okay, there's other people. I want to make sure they follow along. So I also want to explain it for someone who may have not know what I'm talking about. It's kind of interesting. Do you get that when we're recording these episodes and trying to make sure not just I understand you, but also people that might be listening? For sure. And for us, I do think it is easier because we're so accustomed to each other. Mm -hmm. But I would say one of the hobbies I have is obviously learning but also psychology so i've done a lot of studying and reading on psychology on what type of verbiage or inflections in your voice or the pace of how you speak relates better to people because there is there are slight, slight psychological ways that you can tweak your voice depending on the tone of it the speed of it that will trigger dopamine effects in your brain, oxytocin effects in your brain, endorphins in your brain. And these are all hormones that can either make you feel more motivated, feel like you're learning something, feel uh, like you're more anxious or, or have more anxiety. So I think those type of things are, are really cool. And the only way you can practice, you can learn and get better at that is by practicing with other people. Yeah. Definitely. You can't you can't learn it in. I mean, you can learn it online or in school, but this people skills are so important, and I think that is something that is completely overlooked. I agree, and we definitely talk about that a lot, you and I. But also, do you ever think that maybe overthinking the nuances of socializing can almost be a detriment? In what way? What, what do you mean? Here's an example. The... So. I I did well socially with people, especially in high school. I'll go back to high school when I wasn't thinking about this stuff at all. I would just kind of, you know, just walk 
you know, be, just be Jack and just be goofy and just like laugh and talk to people. I wasn't thinking about, oh, how do I have an engaging conversation with this person? I would just like talk to the person. I didn't care. I wasn't thinking about that. As I got to college, especially during COVID times when we're all sitting on our asses, not doing much, not really talking to people much, I started to get those charisma on command videos of actually examples of how to be a more engaging person, how to be a more interesting person. And then I started really thinking about it. And then sometimes I go into social settings or into conversations with these ideas in my head or if I do something like this or say something this way, I will be more engaging. And I almost wonder sometimes if that's almost a detriment to me and if it would be better just to kind of go in without having certain action goals of how you want a social interaction to go. Does that make sense? So I will say that you definitely have a natural skill of that for sure. And I, I don't have that, which kudos to you for, cause damn you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would say you. throughout, throughout high school for sure. And even in college, I was, I was hyper-focused on how people perceived me or other people around them, mm-hmm. which at the time I didn't really know it, but now knowing what I know now, it has become almost a game for me. And I don't overanalyze it. I, I will try one thing. If it doesn't work, then you move on or you try another thing and you'll start to pick up these cues where you see, oh, the way I said that, that had a different impact compared to the way I had said it before. Great example of this. People are very risk averse and they don't, they don't like holding the weight of saying yes, Mm -hmm. because then that is now their decision, their fault. So one little trick you can do is if I asked you, Jack, do you want to go to Charleston for the, for New Year's? Say you have two options, you're like, ah, I don't know, I'm kind of between this stuff. If I say yes, then I have to say no to someone. Mm-hmm. It creates stress in your brain. Now, if I were to phrase it as, Jack, would you be opposed to going to Charleston for New Year's? The answer to that is, or, or the natural answer to that is no, unless you do have an opposition, but you're taking less weight because you're saying no compared to having to convey a yes and putting more weight on your decision. Right. So it's little things like that that are are pretty interesting. Yeah. But also, on the other end of receiving that, maybe if I get the text from you of something, would you be opposed? I would realize that you're doing that with that intention of making things less stressful. But it would be such that's such a nuance that I wouldn't think anything about it if I got that from you before us having this conversation about it, (laughs) I'd just be like, uh, no, not really opposed to it. Or I'd be Mm -hmm. like, that sounds cool, but I'm already flying to Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) Jack Jack will be in Japan. He'll be in in Japan. (laughs) Yeah. And that, those type of communication skills aren't things you can really, I mean, unless you're a public speaker, the course I, take on this guy Min Jong he's an Australian guy whatever but he can talk about that but I unless it's in this format I'm not going to go up to someone and say 
hey man, guess what? I just used this little tactic on you to make you say no <laughs> so that you can come to the club with me or something like that. You know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'll say not this. Maybe this is just a sixth sense of mine, but I feel like it's with a lot of people. If you started trying to manipulate my actions, I think that I would notice. Like, oh, yeah. Like if you started saying things to try to convince me to think that something is good or bad or do something, I feel like that is something I can catch on to. That's actually something I think I'm good at and something I look out for. Would you agree? Do you get? Do you feel that when you feel like someone's trying to, I wouldn't go as far to say manipulate, but it's honestly what it is when someone's trying to push you to do something based on their own agenda. Do you, can you identify that? I would definitely say that's human nature and you, you kind of have this fight or flight sense so that when, when that boils down to someone being a threat, yeah. so your cortisol levels, which is your, your anxiety or, or threat enacting um, hormone that will trigger and you'll be like, all right, something's not right here. But that's why I don't, I don't think you can necessarily stack these type of little things and they're, they're super subtle. Yeah. The, the, because to you, that's a question. If I ask you, are you opposed to going to Charleston? It's a, it's a very simple question that no one's going to be like, Oh, I think he's on to something, you know? So yeah, here's here's yeah. where my red alarms would start going off. And I I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking of someone else honestly. But say someone said, "Hey Jack, I really think you should go to Charleston," because and then he gives me reasons why it would be good for me to go to Charleston. Immediately, I'm thrown off because I'm like, "Why are you telling me why it would be a good idea for me to go? You want me to go." That's why you have yeah. your own reasons for wanting me to be at this place. And may, maybe those reasons are, I want to hang out with you because you're a good friend of mine. Uh, awesome. But it could also be something else. You know, maybe they don't want me somewhere else and things like that. This is not a great example because it's inviting someone to go somewhere, which is usually just good. <laughs> it's usually yeah. a friend inviting a friend. But, you know, if, here's another example. Let's say, let's say I get accepted to the University of Canada, and it's I mean, to. That's real. I know I'm making. Up, I, I could have just made up a real. I could have done a real college, but I made up a fake one. Um, and I and it's and you major in receiving a billion dollars. That's what you like, right? It's it's an awesome major, major. at the University of Canada. That's what, you, and you get a billion dollars at the end of it. But let's say a very significant others of yours, significant other of yours, is actually not happy that you got in because that means you leave, which is understandable. But then all of a sudden it could be, hey, I don't. Maybe maybe you're maybe I'm you know I don't know if I want to leave all this and do this. This is change, and I'm kind of you know not sure of what I want to do here, and then. Someone says, I don't think you should go to the University of Canada. And here's why. Because honestly, 
a billion dollars isn't that much money or or the US currency is not going to exist in years anyways or they start giving me all these reasons of why I would not benefit from going there but it's really just the agenda of they don't want me to go I think you're boiling it down to manipulation versus persuasion that's yeah because yeah, yeah. because manipulation definitely has a negative connotation and you're doing it to take advantage of someone whereas persuasion you are trying to convince someone to take an action that you know might have a good outcome for them. Um, and this, this comes down to sales too, like selling yourself. If you're a sleazy salesman, you do that type of stuff. It's like, ah, don't go with Joe John, go with us because Joe John, the Joe John like murders people, I heard. Yeah, He's... yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So you're just spreading false information. Whereas right. if you're being completely genuine and saying, look, Joe John's a great guy. I think we can do better because of X, Y, Z. Are you opposed to at least trying us out for one month or two months? And if you don't like us, then by all means, I completely understand. Joe John will still be there. Right. And I think that that establishes trust as well, which I've kind of learned is really important in sales. And because I, I reverse that, right? When I'm being sold to, I, the tr- trust is everything. If you actually trust the guy, that guy's able to build that rapport with you. When it's hard to do that in a short amount of time, sales really is an art. Oh, shit, I almost just broke our sound system. It really <laughs> is an art form in that sense of sales to try to build a rapport of trust with the person you're selling to in a short period of time or in bigger deals, longer periods, but still if you start using manipulate manipulative tactics, a lot of people actually can catch on to that. Not everyone clearly because there are sleazy salesmen out there. And if it didn't work, there wouldn't be sleazy salesmen out there. Right. It, it clearly yeah. does work. But at least for me, I feel like the salesmen have more success when they're not trying to pull one on you, when, when they're not using tactics that are hiding things from people. Like if they say, hey, uh, you know, Joe John's, like you said, like, I think they, they offer a lot of stuff. You'd be like, yeah, you know what? They're, they're really good. What they offer is great. I've, absolutely. Um, here's how we can help. Here's how we stand out and why I think you going with us would be better. But yeah, everything you said is true about Joe John. You don't go and make up shit about Joe John or start crapping on their business. Cause the second you do yeah. that, then it's like, Oh, okay, well clearly you just want me to go with you instead. But if you're yeah. honest and upfront that this person also offers a good deal that goes, Oh, okay. This person actually does have my best interest at heart. Yeah. So this is, on this topic is business I will, I will classify it under is yeah. definitely a hobby of mine and the best way to connect with someone is by putting yourself in their shoes what problem do you have that I know I can solve because I've been there before I can relate to where you're at and that just comes across as a very genuine way to sell It's look I know this is an issue of yours this is my plan to solve it I know you need this service for me and I know I can provide this for you. So, and I know there's a bunch of other options, but I think I'm the 
better option to go with because of X, Y, Z, and here's my experience, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of cool... Business is, although it is very... Uh, there's a lot of components to it, but it just comes down to providing value to someone else in exchange for money and being able to convey what value you can provide to them compared to some your competitor. Yeah, I mean, it's simple in theory, a lot more simple than the execution is kind of the way I look yeah. at business. You can sit in a classroom and you can understand why a business succeeds or fails. And when you really break it down to the economics, it's, you go, oh yeah, that makes sense because, you know, they weren't, they weren't producing an MR equals MC. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um or things among those natures or yeah. But once you actually start trying to execute it, I think it, it gets way harder. I, I love it. It's fun. Cause there, there are so many, there's so many components to business, just like you with film, like you have the product side of the business, you have a service side of the business, you have advertising, marketing, accounting, finances. Yeah. It's definitely an ecosystem within itself. Yeah. Totally. And it's in everything. Even my industry. It's a business. It's an industry, right? Yep. And it's, I think it's really fun to break it down in that aspect too. And I've also looked back at smaller things I've done in my life, like even a fraternity and kind of, you know, that was also a business, you know, you got to sell yourself to the newcomers and then you have to make people engaged with going to your parties and events and promoting it. Yeah. With a fraternity, I guess you just have to decide what your GDP is in your opinion. You know, you kind of get to decide because it's not to make money. So it's not profit. So what is your definition of profit if it's not current, like currency, you know, but once you have that and you have like what your idea of profit is, could be, you know, I guess in the long run, it's members, but whether or not it's a large quantity or if it's quality members, it's usually some, it's usually a little bit of both. You want to get a decent amount of guys that are good guys. That's what, that's what every fraternity would want. Right. And it's like, okay, well, what do we do to execute that? But also my idea of profit in my fraternity was just how much fun could I have in four years? You know, like there was also that. So it was fun because we would work hard. We do recruitment events, which are essentially marketing events slash, you know, the sales team trying to, it like advertising the fraternity, having making us appealing, but also other way around, getting to know the guys, getting to the strategies of, okay, what makes people want to join our fraternity versus another fraternity? And it's almost like the markets of competition, you know, it's, it's actually very, very business when you think about it. And honestly, yeah. and this might be controversial, and but even a pledging process, not a hazing. I'm not, I don't think hazing is <laughs> necessary nor business. relatable. This but, is just business, boys. <laughs> <laughs> just business. But I think a pledging process is good for that reason because most situations when you're in the real world you start off as an 
entry-level area. You're almost paying your dues of life before you can really get to where you want to get to. I think that's an important message that's communicated is that you got to pay your dues to earn the credibility, to earn the respect, to earn the experience. You got to pay your dues. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how you can make a fraternity an educational thing rather than just what a bunch of guys drinking together. And that's why I take some pride in it because we actually treat, we treated it like that, especially because we were new kids on the block and we were starting from almost nothing and trying to build up to what, what the fraternity once was in the eighties. So that was pretty cool. We actually had committee meetings, you know, and I was on exec and then chapters like the whole company meeting you're like okay like recruitment committee what'd you do philanthropy what did you do social committee what did you do finance committee education committee all of that stuff train new member education training committee you know (laughs) what did you guys do and then we report and then we get that down and then we have an action goal for the next week and then the committees meet individually then there's committee heads that report to the VP, which is reports to the president or the CEO. It's, it's really fun to look at it like that because then you're like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of life training, especially if you want to go into the corporate world, which a lot of people in Greek life end up doing. Yeah. It's a strategy, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that was a hobby of mine too, being in a fraternity. <laughs> oh, singing. <laughs> I didn't mention singing. That's a huge hobby of mine. I don't, I'm not in an acapella group anymore, but... I sing a lot in this bedroom. <laughs> Singing in the shower. I think my neighbors Singing probably hear it plenty and probably don't love their new neighbor. Well, I guess former old really? neighbor. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. know. I, I usually, yeah. I probably sing once a day. It's usually whenever Cole's at work and I'm here. And when yeah. I am in Atlanta, <laughs> I, I'm working from home at the moment. So that happens. And then when I was on shifts for the restaurant, I'd have a lot of night shifts. So yeah, during the day, I'll sing around. And I still try to like practice a little bit, make sure I still have my voice. And so I'll listen to a song on Spotify. I guess, yeah, music just in general is a little bit of a hobby. But if I hear a song where like there's kind of a challenging lyric or something that I think sounds really cool that the musician did, I'm like, okay, can I emulate that voice? Can I hit that note? And then I'll just start like playing around, screwing around for a second and just try to- beatboxing. (laughs) Beatboxing, I never got good at. Yeah, you had a cool acapella group. You had some talented people in there. That was awesome. Yeah, they were really fun. They were, they were a cool, cool group of people. I just keep in touch a little bit. There's like a group chat that the alumni are still in, and we get the updates. Um, but yeah, that was, and that's a language too, right? You get in there, and plenty of people have gone in there and never done music before. And then you get this sheet music. It's literally a different language. It, you know, it, it's a sheet of paper and there's a bunch of notes on it. And then all of a sudden you're in this room with a bunch of people who can read it. Like they know exactly what it means. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah, and then the impressive, the music directors, one, they major, you know, their music majors probably major in composition. They're, they're good at it. But the good ones know how to communicate what, the person needs to do who isn't really good at reading this language. That's what makes That's a good music director. Condense the information. Exactly. And make it, yeah. make it understandable. Like I don't, I can't just look at this and know what note to sing. 
want like you, you get tools like there's we put our sheet music into a, a program software that actually you can play the notes so you can hear it so that's really helpful if you're still struggling the music director can play it on a piano and then or sing it for you have you sing along with you um i mean all sorts of stuff and the actual music directors would probably have a million other things to <laughs> that they could go off of and then they get to get into their specifics like of what actually goes into singing a song and performance like i learned a lot about dynamics from my friend noah who was in the group and the music director and just oh okay like sometimes you have to give your voice more intensity at certain parts of the song sometimes you have to bring it back because it sometimes the the piece the the music calls for that because this part needs to be heard and needs to be intense so like, it that becomes the art form of it all too which i always thought like was public, so cool yeah it's almost like the public speaking stuff same same type of thing where you trigger different emotions yeah that so. is literally the goal i mean that's that's what art is right i, I think art is basically producing a product that has an emotional effect on somebody that moves someone emotionally. And that's exactly what music is. That's how public speaking is an art form, you know, speeches, inspiring speeches, MLK juniors. I have a dream speech. It's famous. And it's, I, it's an art that, that that's art. It moved people. It started a movement. It's like, yeah, there was the goal. Like there was a civil rights aspect, to it too it wasn't just like a, oh that was a cool emotion time to go home like he actually started something that <laughs> that changed the nation and the, the world. world yeah but also you know the reason is because of that emotional connection that people were able to have to that speech it it brought people on the same page in a way it never had before that's the art and those yeah. are the intri intricacies i bet he studied all of those things he knew what he was doing he didn't just get up. There. He didn't just write like this, this, this. I, I promise you. I mean, I didn't. Obviously, I didn't know him. But that Martin Luther King Jr. had to have known exactly what he was doing. And he, I bet well, he, was, he didn't know. I bet he was nervous. Like I don't know if this is going to work. But the outcome that he got was the outcome he was intending to get. I mean, he was a he was some type of religious preacher, right? Yeah. Beforehand. So he already so has been playing that game yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and those, the people who make stuff look super easy, whether it's their hobbies or careers or whatever it is, those are people that I love hanging out with are, and are super impressed by. Yeah. Yeah, oh. totally true. I couldn't agree more. Right. I didn't say well, totally agree. I said totally true. Yeah. I said couldn't yeah, agree totally. more. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Well, cool, man. I enjoyed this episode, and we will definitely be having more lighthearted ones intermingled with some of the more existential ones, because I think it's good to talk about stuff that happens on a day-to-day -day basis as well as things that people are always contemplating on what the right direction is. So, yeah, love growing and, and learning more. Oh, yes. Yeah, I got to feel like I just kind of felt like a nerd on this episode, just <laughs> which is nice. I need that. It was good to just talk about things I like or I think are interesting, because I I think that stuff is cool. Um, but yeah, and I also just like how I feel like we're preparing each other once every two weeks 
to talk to other people, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> this is our public speaking practice. I mean, honestly, yeah. You know, I, I feel like I've gotten, like at Thanksgiving with my family, I was talking to adults. I mean, I'm an adult now too, but people who I knew as adults when I was like 12 and younger. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I can have, I can be invested with them and have good conversation. And I feel like a lot of that is talking to you. I got to talk about this podcast to some of them, got to yeah. talk about my hobbies with them and things like that. And also just joke around too. So yeah, I think this podcast has helped a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say one more thing to end it off on. Don't be afraid to share your hobbies. And don't be afraid to be vulnerable about yeah, it. Yeah, people get insecure about that. Nerdy. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great talent to have and just be completely authentic to who you are because especially if you are passionate about it, you do have that potential to connect with someone. And who knows? They could be a movie nerd as well or at least like some of the movies that you're mentioning. And you can give them deeper insight into something that they find interesting. So Or they cannot. And conflict is also interesting in my opinion thanks Shay. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely i completely agree I, I, it's perfectly fine to have different different opinions yeah that's how you grow yeah exactly so. that was what i was getting at too yeah. like one i think you'd be surprised if you shared things that i think yes people may disagree but i don't think you'll be judged for it and if you are, maybe you will be judged for it. There are people out there. But then it's like, oh, okay, now I know who I don't want to hang out with. There you go. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Well-Rounded Wealth Podcast. We will see you guys in two weeks. All right. Any other closing things we should say? Or are we good? I think so. I think it's going to be pretty flat to the end of the year. And... Yeah, I'm excited to hit 20. Some... I'm really excited to hit 20. Yeah, we should we should Got do something. More. We should do something somewhat special, um, not like a thank you episode, but maybe like an acknowledgement episode of the people that have been following us and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, we'll try to do something fun. It might. There's a chance it'll be the last episode of the year. I don't know if it will be, but the one after would be like that's it's December 26th, I think. Yeah. So we have two. We'll have two more after this one. Yeah. Through the year. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll Three more episodes, including this one. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening as always. And if you haven't already, you know the deal. If you like the podcast, follow the podcast. Give it a five-star rating on wherever you're listening from. Check us out on social media, on Instagram, TikTok. We're on YouTube. The videos are on YouTube. Um, those are starting to get some more attention of notice, which is awesome because it makes me feel like our Riverside subscription is worth it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so thank you guys so much as always, and we'll catch you soon.